If you would take your copy of God's Word, turn to Ephesians in chapter 4. Ephesians in chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 17 through 24 this morning. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. If you do not have a Bible, there should be one in the pew in front of you, and that'll be on page 919. 919 in the Bible that is in front of you. So let's go ahead. Let's start with a word of prayer. Ask the Lord to help us as we look at his word this morning. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for your word that you have given it to us so that we might know what to believe and how to live, Father. And we ask that as we open your book, that you would give us understanding, that you would use your word to to shape us, to mold us, to transform us more into the image of your son, that we might uh, live all of our life and every aspect of our life to your glory and to your kingdom. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, One of the things I find myself doing from time to time, uh, if I'm just being honest, is downplaying the seriousness of my own sin. And I don't know if you're like me in that, but sometimes I downplay the seriousness of my own sin, especially if I'm comparing myself with somebody else. That sometimes I think of like the worst person I can think of, right? And, And I'm like, okay, well, compared to them, I'm doing pretty good. But at the same time, though, that's still downplaying the seriousness of my sin. Uh, instead of grieving over my sin, at times I'm, I'm really, I'm apathetic about it, if I'm just being honest. And that's terrible to say, right? I'm just kind of apathetic, don't feel anything about it sometimes. Sometimes I think things I shouldn't think, I say things I shouldn't say, and I do things I shouldn't do, and I really don't think much about it. And I'm sure I'm not the only one in here who sometimes downplays the seriousness of, of our own sin. I'm, I'm sure that's a problem for, for many of us. Uh, when's the last time that you weeped over your sin? When's the last time that you were grieving over the fact that you have sinned against God? And, and not only that, it seems like in our culture we almost are prideful about our sin. Uh, We think it's something neat to be able to provoke someone to anger. If they disagree with us, we sometimes feel like we we need to just say exactly what we think and the tone that we think we should use and provoke others to anger. But that is nothing more than just pride revealing itself in what we say or what we we do. Uh, Sometimes we fall into the sin of comparison. And and the reason comparison is kind of a sin is is because comparison is always going to lead to two places, envy or pride. When we compare ourselves to to other organizations or compare our church to another church or compare ourselves to another person, uh, we either are going to be filled with pride thinking that we've got it all together and look what we've got going on and look at what we're doing, or we're going to be filled with envy and covetousness, wishing that we were as good as this person or wishing that I had my life as together as this other person or wishing that my church did things as much as this, this other church did. And so we fall into this trap of pride or, or covetousness. And sometimes, sometimes we, we feel like our way is the best way and it's either my way or the highway. And we have that mentality about ourselves. That if, if, if people aren't going to do exactly what I think they should do, then I'm just going to forget about them or I'm going to go somewhere else, this, that, the other. And we put our, our preferences and our opinions above of what's actually important. And all of those things, all those things are forms of pride, forms of sin that, that we often just kind of downplay. And far too often we, we downplay the seriousness of our sin, which actually is a reflection of what we really think about how holy our God is. 
Uh, when we downplay the seriousness of sin, what we're also downplaying by association is how holy and righteous our God is. But at times we might feel like these things are just part of being human. After all, we are human. We are going to make mistakes. We're going to sin. We're not going to be perfect. And so we feel that that these things, this pride, this envy, this covetousness, uh, lustful thoughts, anger, all these things are just part of being human. And they are. They are part of being human. Uh, they are part of human nature apart from God. So they are part of being human, but being human apart from God. They are remnants of our old life before we came to know Christ and before we came to, to follow Christ. They cling easily to us and they die very hard. But here's the good news. God has given us freedom from all of those things. He has given us freedom from the sin that so easily entangles us. You see, God has a greater plan for us than to continue in the, soul, the same old ways of the world. God has a greater plan for us than for us to look like the world and to live in our old ways. And so as Paul writes to these Christians in Ephesus, he, he wants his readers to turn from the life that the world encourages them to live and to put on Jesus's manner of life as revealed in the Bible. To put on the manner of life, the likeness of Christ as revealed as we look at God's word. And as you are called to live a life transformed by the gospel, God's going to give you the ability to live more for him each and every day. And that's really the, the message of this passage is that you are called to live a life transformed by the gospel, to trade in the old life encouraged by the world for the new life created in Jesus. And so as we dive in today in Ephesians chapter 4, there in verse 17 through 24, as we continue our look at the book of Ephesians. And so Paul, he starts off there talking about the old life that we had, the old life apart from Christ. And many of you in here today or many of you hearing this, you may still be walking in that life. Maybe you have not come to the place where you know that Jesus is your Lord, that Jesus is your Savior, that you have trusted in him. And if that is the case, then this is going to describe your life. If you have trusted Christ, then what we're about to look like is going to show you how far you have come. It's going to show you what God has saved you from. And so just starting there in verse 17, Paul says, Now I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. You must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. The idea of walking is just like a manner of life. It's how you live your life. And what Paul is saying is that you must no longer live your life as the Gentiles do. And he's very specific in his wording there uh, because there were really two groups of people that Paul's talking to. And in this day and age, you were one of two types of people. You were either Jewish or you were Gentile, meaning non-Jewish. And so he's saying you must no longer live as the Gentiles live. And now the Gentiles, they worshiped and served many little G-gods, but they did not serve the one true God through Jesus Christ. And so what Paul is saying, you must no longer live like the world is what he's saying. You must no longer live like the world. And then he goes on to talk about the futility of their mind. And that's the first thing we see about the old life. The first characteristic of our old life apart from Christ is that it is characterized by darkness. Our old life before we follow Christ is characterized 
by darkness. Notice there how it does say walking in the futility of their minds. And then in verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding. And so remember, he's encouraging his readers no longer live like this. And what that means, what that he's assuming is that that is how we all once lived. Apart from Christ, we were in darkness. We were living in darkness, in the futility of our mind. And he's encouraging us no longer walk in this way. No longer live in the darkness of our mind and of our flesh following the ways of this world. And so that phrase there, futility of their minds, all it's talking about is just the uselessness of the way they think. The darkness of the way they think. The word futility means foolishness, of no value, worthless. And so what he's saying is to live in darkness is to live a life of a fool. To live in darkness is to live the life of a fool. You see, there is a way that seems right to man. And, and the Bible tells us that, that it says that the way that seems right to man ends in what? Death. But a lot of times the world's going to encourage us to live our truth, to, to follow our heart. And yet the Bible tells us what? That the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. That the, the, heart, the heart deceives even ourselves. Our innermost being. Why? Because apart from Christ, our eyes are darkened by sin and our mind is darkened by sin. And so we live the life of futility and of darkness. But not only is our old life characterized by darkness, we see that it's also characterized by deadness. Notice what he says there continuing in verse 18. He says they are darkened to their understanding and they are alienated from the life of God. They're alienated from the life of God. So apart from Christ, we were in darkness, but we were also in deadness. And if you remember back in Ephesians in chapter 2, there in verse 1, it said, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once Walked. Uh, the idea of being alienated from the life of God is to be separated from his life. And to not have the life of God is to have death, is to be dead. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. That we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sometimes we think of sin as this, this mystical word, but it's more than just a mystical word that we sometimes throw around. Sin is rebellion against God. It's treason against God on high. And so when we are living in this darkness, it proves to us that we also have this deadness being alienated or separated from the life of God. Separated from the life of God. And notice there it also says because of the ignorance that is in them. The idea of ignorance is just a lack of understanding or a lack of knowledge. Um, a lot of times people will say they do not believe in God, uh, but I'm here to tell you there is no true, consistent atheist in the world. Atheists don't really exist. And you're going to tell me, well, I mean, I know several atheists that don't believe God, but the Bible tells us that atheists know there is a God in their heart, but they suppress the truth because of their own darkness and because of their own deadness. If you look in Romans 1 and then in Romans chapter 2, we read some about that darkness and that deadness. 
we read that that there in verse 18 of Romans 1, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's obvious because God has shown it to him. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. In other words, all of creation testifies to the truth, to the fact that there is a God who is eternal and powerful. And that in and of itself is enough, as verse 20 tells us in Romans 1, to make it where we are without excuse before a holy and righteous God. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking. Once again, we see that word there, futile or foolish in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, in our darkness, in our deadness, living apart from Christ, separated from the life of God, we suppress the truth about God. And we exchange worship for God and the Creator for worship of the creature. And those are all marks of darkness and deadness. And so we read in verse 24, Romans 1, God gave them up to the lust of their hearts and to impurity. You see, if we continue down the slippery slope of darkness and deadness, we are going to end up experiencing the third characteristic. And apart from Christ, we do experience it, hardness. Hardness of heart. Back in Ephesians in chapter 4, we read that they are alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up. Remembering Paul's talking about the life of those apart from Christ is characterized by darkness and deadness and also hardness. Unwilling to change unwilling to change callous in our heart i don't know if you if you've experienced this but it seems like the first time you commit a sin that you know you're not supposed to commit it weighs on you but then the next time you do it it's a little bit easier and the next time it's even easier and the next time before too long you don't feel anything it's like your conscience is broken it's not that your conscience is broken though if you're a follower of god you have the holy spirit inside of you you have just suppressed the truth so much in your life that you don't even recognize the voice of God in your heart anymore. When we continue down that path, not turning to God, living in our sin, in our darkness, in our deadness, we become hardened of heart and we become calloused. That's a real danger for us as Christians because we are set free from these things. We are. But at the same time, we still have this indwelling sin that loves to rage its roaring, nasty head in our life and attack us. And if we're not careful, if we don't turn to God and rely on His strength, we become hardened in our heart and we can become callous to the goodness of God in our life and become callous and not even realize 
the seriousness of our sin. And we live in darkness and we live in deadness and hardness. Then eventually we end up living a life that is reckless. The fourth characteristic of our old life is recklessness. Notice there, they have become callous, verse 19, and have given themselves up. The idea, the word picture being painted there is that they are laying their life down as a sacrifice. They have given themselves up, laying themselves as a sacrifice to the very thing that seeks to kill them. And therefore, they live recklessly. And in our old life, we lived recklessly. And I pray to God today that we no longer live recklessly. But notice there in verse 19, they gave themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. So in our old life, and you can recognize this by looking at the world, and I pray you cannot recognize this by looking within your own life or within the church, but we have to use this as a reflection of ourselves to look at ourselves and ask ourselves, have I been set free from the old life? But when we look into the world, do we not see that the world is greedy to practice every kind of impurity and to shove it upon our kids? When we look at the world, do we not see that this world is, is tainted by a love of sensuality and sex and all those things. But yet God has set us free from pursuing anything that is against God's design. He set us free from sensuality and greed to practice every kind of impurity. But when we reject God and when we suppress the truth, we prove that we are living in darkness and deadness and hardness and recklessness. It's no wonder that one of the most dangerous places for a kid in the world is in his mother's womb now. Because we feel as people that we have a right to kill the unborn. But that's just a sign of darkness and deadness and hardness and recklessness. It is an evil thing. And yet our own president celebrated and said that he was going to fight tooth and nail. Tooth and nail. To make it where we can kill our own children in the womb. And that is darkness beyond all darkness. But you know what? You want me to tell you the truth? No amount of policy is ever going to fix that. No amount of policy is ever going to fix that. You know what fixes all that type of thinking? Politics, politicians, and presidents are not our Savior. Jesus is. He's the only one who can change lives. He's the only one who can change hearts. And let me, I want to stand here today and tell you this. That our own anger toward people is just as much a sin as killing a child in the womb. And so it's really easy for us as Christians sometimes to look and say, that is evil and that is wicked, and yet never look in our own hearts. And so let us not sin in our anger, but let us understand that we still have wickedness inside of us. That Thank God Jesus has paid for, but he's also working on us. And so our old life is characterized by darkness and deadness and hardness and recklessness. But we have been given freedom to pursue a new life, a new life in Christ. And so that is why he goes on to say 
that even though they have become callous and give themselves up to sensuality, greed, and practice every kind of impurity, verse 20, this is not the way you learned in Christ. This is not the way you learned in Christ. In other words, in Christ we are not to live in darkness, in deadness, in hardness, in recklessness. We're not meant to live apart from the truth of God in our life. Rather, our new life is characterized by three things. Notice there with me. Verse 21, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. Once again, he's saying, this is not how you live in Christ, assuming you have actually heard of Christ and the truth that is in him. Then he goes on to say, verse 22, to put off your old self. In other words, to have a change of clothes, to take your old self off, throw it away and put on your new life in Christ. Notice there, this idea of our new life being characterized by repentance, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. Sometimes we think repentance is just to stop doing something. And that's not really what repentance is. Repentance is to take it off completely to take it off completely, to have a change of direction, a change of attitude towards sin. We once were pursuing sin and that's what we were striving for. But now in Christ, we've been given a new perspective and we turn from that sin toward Christ and we pursue Christ and who Christ is. We put off our old self. We wage war against our old self. The Bible tells us take every thought captive. And so when we have those minds and those thoughts of anger, When we have lustful thoughts, when we have murderous, hateful thoughts, we take those things captive and we say, this is not the way of Christ. And then we go to the Lord and we say, Lord, help me to change my mind on these things. Change me, transform me by the renewal of our minds. You see, our new life is characterized by repentance. And part of repentance means that we're also going to be led into renewal. Notice there, we're to put off our old self and to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. You see, God did not just come to give us a ticket out of hell. That's a great thing, right? It's great that we get to have eternal life. But that's not the only reason God came. God came that we might be made new. The Bible tells us that if anyone is in Christ, they are what? A new creation. That if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. They're transformed by God. And so we're told to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. And that's where renewal starts with what we think. And that's why we're so big on God's word and knowing the truth, because you cannot believe the truth if you don't know the truth. You can't believe God if you don't know God. You can't believe the gospel if you don't know the gospel. Our minds apart from Christ are darkened and follow the ways of this world so much that sometimes even Christians think that some of the wicked things of this world are are good, and yet they're not. And so we need to be renewed in the way we think, and that renewal happens through the Word of God and the Spirit of God in our lives. We are renewed first and foremost in the spirit of our minds. And after that renewal we can then put on that new self and pursue righteousness. And so in our new life is characterized by repentance, a turning away from sin, renewal, having our minds changed by the truth of God's word, and then righteousness, putting on our new self, as the Bible says, and pursuing God. 
pursuing God, putting on that new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and true holiness. And that is one of the great truths of Scripture, that we as people do not have a righteousness of our own. We have an alien righteousness. We are clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so all that is good within me is not mine. It is God's that he has given me. And the same is true of you. We have no righteousness of our own. The Bible tells us that our righteousness is as filthy rags. That means that on my best day, on my own, my good deeds are trash. But Christ and his righteousness, it don't get any better than that. And so I take off the old man, the way of the flesh, the way of Adam, and I put on the new man, Christ. And we can pursue Christ and live for him. You see, our old life apart from Christ before we follow Jesus is marked by darkness, deadness, hardness, and recklessness. But in Jesus, we have been set free from all of those things. In Jesus, we are given repentance. We are given renewal and righteousness, all of which lead to our transformation. We're called to live a life that is transformed by the gospel, that is out with the old and in with the new, out with the old man, in with the new Christ. And what this means then for us is that God intends for each one of us to have a life that is transformed, to have a life that is growing in holiness and righteousness. After all, that's one of the reasons God chose us. God chose us in him to be holy and righteous in him before the foundation of the world. And here's the good news. God's grace enables us to do just that. God's grace enables us to put that sin in our life to death because he gives us those new desires. He gives us that new perspective as we seek to honor him. And this also means that that the idea of continuing in sin as a Christian is okay because it's not. It's not okay that we are to continue in sin. Paul addresses that very thing in the early parts of Romans, that if salvation is by grace, does that mean that I should continue in sin by that God's grace may be abounding more and more? And Paul says, by no means, may it never be, for you have been set free from those things. You see, God's grace is the only reason we're able to be saved, but God's grace is the only reason we're able to put to death the things that are wicked inside of us that we are able to turn from our sin and turn to him. And so the error of being able to just continue in our sin and be okay is, is foolishness, really, because God's grace enables us to wage war against those things. Now, are we going to still sin? Yeah, we are, because we still have sin that wages war inside of us. But that sin should burden us. That sin in our life should make us think, oh, wait, this doesn't honor God. This sin should really bother us. And if God intends for us to live a life transformed by the gospel, then it would be good for us by his grace to seek the righteousness of Christ, to turn from our old self and to put on our new self to recognize the patterns in our life that lead to our sin. Uh, you know how it is like, that you kind of, you might have like this pet sin that comes back, whether it's pride, anger, lust, 
idolatry, covetousness, any other thing. And there's this pattern that you find yourself in. You know that if I'm in this situation, I'm going to struggle with pride. If I'm in this situation, I'm going to struggle with covetousness. If I'm in this situation, I'm going to struggle with greed or I'm going to struggle with lust or hate or anger, whatever it is. You might recognize that about yourself. And what God may be calling you today is to, is to flee from those situations that you know are going to lead you into those sins. To lead you in to try to exercise the old self. Because we are called to seek the righteousness of Christ and to turn from our old self. We must, by God's grace, not allow the old self to rule over us because we are new in Christ. We have his grace. We have his spirit that allows us to live for him. When Jesus died on the cross, he paid for our sins, but he also defeated the power of sin over our life. Sin no longer has authority over us, no longer has dominion over us because Christ is king. He is Lord. He is our savior. And so where do you stand in light of that? What part of your old self do you need to take off? Jesus has freed you from these things. Dear friends, put on his peace. Put on his forgiveness. Put on his righteousness. Put on Christ and be transformed. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. And Father, we thank you that even though we don't have it all together, that you do. That you are a God who is making us new and transforming us more and more into the image of your Son. So Father, would you use your word and by your spirit search our hearts that we may know what parts of our old self apart from you are still waging war against us. That we might take those off and put on the righteousness of your Son by faith. Father, maybe there's somebody here in this, Lord, that they realize they're still walking in that darkness and they've never come to a place in their life where they have trusted you and the forgiveness that you bring by faith. Father, we pray that today would be the day that they place their total confidence in you and you alone for the forgiveness of their sins. Maybe today you're leading us to really just recommit ourselves to you. We've been going through the motions. Father, maybe you're revealing that to us that we might have been going through the motions, not pursuing the life that you have for us, growing comfortable in our sin. Father, would you free us from that? And we know you will. We know that's your will for us, that we would be free from sin that so easily entangles us. And so, Father, we pray that today would be the day that we put off even more of that old self and put on more and more of the righteousness of Christ. All this for your glory and your, and your praise, Lord. We want to be a church. We want to be a people that honors you and helps others to come and know you and know the life that is in you. Father, we ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.